Good morning, KGF family. And I just want to thank uh, those that uh, went uh, before to prepare our hearts for this. Uh, we had Joel and Chris Hendricks uh, sharing the worship, and we had uh, Marissa sharing the announcements, and Luke Weens was sharing the scripture. So thank you, Luke. In our series in Be the Church, today we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, and it's about the road to joy in Christ. If ever anyone should have had post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, Paul certainly would have qualified. Shipwrecks, bitten by a venomous snake, beaten in jail multiple times, hitmen looking for him to kill him, and once again, as a prisoner, as he writes this letter to one of the very cities where he had been beaten and imprisoned, jailed before. The Philippian church was also continuing to face some of the same opposition when Paul was there. And maybe Paul did have some signs of PTSD. We don't know that. And last week, we were looking at uh, the passage that Phil shared with us from verses uh, 1 and 2 about the um, disunity in the Philippian church, particularly between two women that were, had been on Paul's team. And that disunity in this hyper-polarized world today that we live in really is impactful. We have felt that disunity everywhere over almost everything. Yet throughout this letter and his other letters, Paul loves to talk about joy in the midst of adversity. He demonstrates for us a life of joy. And he encourages us to rejoice. And here he goes again in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a really big deal for Paul. And it will be our primary focus in this passage today. But as we will see, these four verses are all very interconnected. So our question for discussion today will be, what am I focusing on that is fueling my joy or robbing me of my joy in the Lord? Kids, you can be a part of this too. I want you on your pieces of uh, paper or bristle board or whatever you have to draw a picture of a telescope. I'm not much of an artist. Uh, Phil actually might be better than me. Um, and I know that's not saying much, but... Um, I want you to draw a picture of a telescope. And then around that picture, I want you to draw some pictures of things that you are really thinking about or focused in on in your life these days. For me, one of my things that I focus on is uh, my woodwork shop. Um, and uh, I used to focus on kayaking. I used to do some major kayak trips. And so uh, put on your board the things that you get focused on or thinking about. And we'll tell you a little bit more what to do with that later. Now, many of you might not characterize Garth Walker as being an overtly joyful person. I know that I can be, tend to be a bit serious at times. 
I was thinking about that, and I, I think that comes out of my love for God's people and the church, and I so long for them to experience that relationship with him, the freedom from worry, the uh, knowing his presence and all that. So sometimes I get a little intense, but God's been working with me on this developing greater joy in my life and understanding it over the last couple of years, and particularly through this message. And as I give you this message today, remember there's three fingers pointing back at me. This message is for me too. So let's dive in. What does it mean to rejoice? What is joy? What is joy? There are a number of different Greek words that are translated into the English as joy. They are often related to gladness and happiness, although the Greek word in this passage is karyo, which is a joy that is more a state of being than it is an emotion, a result of ongoing choices. Paul's rejoice here is actually an imperative or a command to rejoice specifically in the Lord. Paul is calling us to focus on a who, to our relationship with that who, Jesus Christ, not on a thing or circumstance, although our, our emotions can be involved. In other words, what is our perspective? What is filling our horizon? Or better yet, who is filling our horizon? A question that I came across recently may be of help. Am I, ga am I glancing at God and gazing at the world? Or am I glancing at the world and gazing at God? That is why the kids' activity is about the telescope and what they are focusing in on. Maybe us adults should be drawing that too. So first off, if I want to focus by telescope on God and his revealed word, Jesus, and his written word, we find that joy is not totally our responsibility. Oh, thank you, Lord. But the joy is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Galatians 5.22 verse and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5 also tells us that if we walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, which is all about living in relationship with Him, we will not engage in a long list of things like sexual immorality, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness and the like. Which you, if you think about it, are the kinds of things that rob us, absolutely destroy us from being able to experience joy in Christ. For example... When I went over to an acquaintance of mine and saw his 2,400-square-foot woodwork shop and compared it to my 300-square-foot woodwork shop, what do you think I felt? I was a little jealous, maybe more than a little. And that jealousy temporarily robbed me of the joy of creating in my own woodwork shop. Comparing ourselves or th our things to others can be deadly to gratitude and joy. 
Joy is also connected to hope. Romans 15, verse 3, encourages us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. We talked about hope a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, that reminded us, for we are citizens of heaven, the expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the changing of these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body should put up a bit of a dance to our step. I can't dance worth anything, but man, that, that should put a dance to our step. Now, the brother of Jesus, James, writes about a kind of joy that is maybe a bit of a stretch to wrap our minds around. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy when you encounter, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This verse would be a sermon all on its own, but for today, let us focus on the first part of that, on the concept of considering or examining, deliberately choosing to think about what God might be up to in you in moments of trial. What could his purposes be in allowing us to go through whatever that trial is? James, his, Jesus' brother, says it's to produce endurance, uh, perseverance, which could be also described as the ability to stand up under trial. Now put yourself in James' shoes when he had to watch his brother be hung and crucified on a cross. Does James know about trial? I think so. In 1975, I was in California in a discipleship training school for three months, and the director was an ex-Navy SEAL by the name of Woody. Five days a week, we worked out in the afternoon for about an hour. And one day, as I was doing push-ups, and I was about to quit at number 30, Woody happened to come over and stand over me. And he encouraged me, as you might imagine a Navy SEAL would, to push myself further, he got me all the way to 50 push-ups when I would have quit at 30, almost double, way beyond what I was thought was humanly possible for me. Now, gradually, the pain went away over for a couple of days, <laughs> and I did get stronger over time. I have never forgotten that lesson in perseverance. Can we view our trials in a similar light as our training I wonder what will happen to the North American church when real persecution comes, when our lives will be on the line if we claim to follow Jesus. Back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which follows just after that 5 to 11 passage that we're trying to memorize as a church community, where Christ models for us the heart of a servant of being a to the point of death, even death on a cross, the greatest trial that has ever occurred on our planet. Paul reminds us in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do we believe his purposes are good? Do we believe God is good? 
Jesus modeled this. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising shame. What was the source of joy in this? Not the cross. I believe it came out of his desire to follow the will of his father, out of his love for us, knowing that he would be making a way for us to be reconciled to God, knowing his father's purposes were universe-shakingly good. Joy also has some of its roots in gratitude. For many of us older folks, we used to sing the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. How much time do we spend counting our blessings? Another commentary defines joy this way. It's up on the screen. Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. There is a deep realization that God has acted and is acting to save those who put their trust in him. Having joy does not mean that we don't feel things like sadness and grief or any of the other more difficult emotions. I myself have felt a lot of sadness and frustration over the growing polarization and anger in our world, which is fueling a rapidly, rapidly developing culture called the cancel culture, which is also infecting the church. If you are not familiar with the term, it is worth exploring. But my simple definition is that people cut off relationship with those who don't, dis, don't agree with their perspective or position, and they may even try to publicly shame them. So how do we deal with those emotions? We can be overwhelmed, we can get stuck in them, or we can refocus our telescope back on the Lord's presence and his perspective. Psalm 16, verse 11 says that in your presence, in your presence is the fullness of joy, the fullness of joy. God is at once the source and the object of real joy. Kids, how's the artwork coming? Are there any pictures or signs of God anywhere in your diagram? And if there are, where have you positioned them? Are they in line with the focal point of your telescope? And if they're not, maybe you want to put one on another piece of paper and put it over something else. I'll let you work on that. Shutting out all of the distractions of our lives and sitting in his presence is pretty hard work. And I'm still learning how to do that. 
especially being kind of an ADD person, being very distractible, but God, God is really helping me to do that. And when I am able to focus in on him with the help of his spirit, these are the things I'm reminded of and I think about and I ponder. His loving kindness, his salvation, his good instructions on how to live, his words of comfort when days are dark, and that he rejoices over his people, over me, over you. I'm grateful that his spirit convicts me when I need it. It reminds me of his sovereignty, that he is king and Lord over the universe. I'm drawn to let go of worry or fears because he is with me always. This list could go on to fill many pages In fact, I've made many lists over the last few years like that that have fueled my joy, my sense of inner contentment in that relationship with him. So let me summarize where we're at so far today. Joy is best described as a deep inner contentment and satisfaction in dwelling us regardless of the outward circumstances because we are in the Lord. And that is fueled by focusing on his presence with us and his love for us. It's fueled by his gifting joy from his spirit. It's fueled by the hope of eternal life based on our trust in his sacrificial death and his lordship. It's fueled by the trials and persecutions that are our training grounds to serve him. And lastly, for today, it's fueled by gratitude. Gratitude gratitude is such a huge component, especially for his amazing grace. So joy is all about our relationship with God. And I would want to add to that slide and our relationship with one another. Paul talks a lot about joy connected with other Jesus followers. But that's another sermon. We've spent a lot of time on joy so far, as it seems to be getting lost in the chaos of our times. But let's keep going now to verse 5. Let your gentleness be known, evident to all. The Lord is near. This word gentleness or forbearance or patience, whichever you find in your translation, is quite a difficult word to translate into English. However, most commentators to turn to this description given by L.H. Marshall and read this very carefully. It's, 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 it's deep. Fair-mindedness, or forbearance or fair-mindedness, the attitude of a man who is charitable towards men's faults and merciful in his judgments of their failings because he takes their whole situation into his reckoning. I want to repeat that. Fair-mindedness, the attitude of a man who is charitable towards men's faults and merciful in his judgment of their failings because he takes their whole situation into his reckoning. Perhaps graciousness is one word that might describe that. And in this context, an attitude of willingness to yield under trial, which will show itself in a refusal to retaliate or attack. I wonder, I cry out, 
Does that describe how we have thought about or spoken about our government officials or health officials or whoever we're disagreeing with over the last year? Is that joy, that inner contentment, that fair mind, that forbearance, that gentleness, is that evident to people or do they just see an angry person, a hurting person, a frustrated person, a person demanding their rights? Do they see our joy? Related to government authority, I want to throw an idea at you. It's a question that I pose. Is, I'm going to read this because I, I mess this up all the time. Is expecting people who do not know Jesus and who do not have his spirit, to, is expecting them to always act rationally, justly, fairly, or with love, is that rational? Is that expectation anywhere near realistic? And these expectations rob us of joy. We have a hard enough time as Christ followers to be fair and just and loving. I suggest that we need to adjust our expectations. Paul's call to have a gracious heart made possible by God's grace to us is accompanied by a reminder that the Lord is near. As I read this, I was immediately reminded when Judas and the Roman cohort came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter whips out his sword and cuts off the slave's ear. And Jesus says, whoa, put your sword away, Peter. And he heals the slave's ear. And two thoughts come out of me, of this for me. The first is that we must look to Jesus first before we react or retaliate or make a decision, especially when things are unjust and unfair. Second, remember that he's, he's right there with us to give us a strength to go through whatever we're going through. And because he is with us, the next verse takes on a deeper meaning. Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious, worried, or fearful about anything. Wow. Is that truth ever needed in our world today? Even before COVID hit, anxiety was running at pandemic levels across our globe. Uh, back then, when I, when I was still had my counseling practice open, a significant number of the people in my office were experiencing anxiety. And now that would be even higher. The Apostle Paul lays down this instruction as a command because he goes on to say, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We are never alone, and we have a God who listens to us. We have the King's ear. Should that not help to ease our fears and worries? Paul uses two words here to describe prayer. In the Greek, the first word for prayer is a kind of general description of our overall relating to him. And that should include praise and confession and thanksgiving. 
We often forget that. We tend to focus on the second word, petition, which refers to times when we think about our needs or others' needs. And that could be legitimate needs that God wants to resolve or answer, or could refer to times when um, we want God to get us out of, of a predicament, and he may not want to get us out of that predicament. He might want to give us the strength and courage to walk through it with him. And then Paul says these prayers are to be given with thanksgiving. Here's that gratitude attitude thing again. The recalling of God's goodness and mercy can refocus us away from the many pitfalls like over-concern about our immediate problems or forgetting his grace in the past or forgetting the needs of others that, have, that are less fortunate than even in our situation. One of the things that gives me joy related to prayer is the group of men that I get to pray with every Tuesday morning. Uh, just a great bunch of guys and um, just love praying with them. And our board and staff meet for prayer now on Sunday mornings before the church service. These are really special times. Here at KGF, we have a prayer ministry of over 40 people that um, pray for the various prayer requests that come in to our church family. One of my questions for all of us is, who are you praying for these days? Who are you praying with these days? Because there's something about praying with one another both for our own needs, but for other needs and for our government, our world. Um, our church prayer ministry can be reached at prayer at kgfchurch.com. The outcome of this kind of holistic prayer life is, one, not getting overrun by anxiety, but also living in joy and enjoying a God-given peace. In verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you'll have to go to my, actually, the last sermon I did last fall on peace and shalom to get the full explanation of that. But I still, however, I will say this. Paul uses military metaphor in describing the activity of God's peace or shalom expressed in that peace will guard over us. The Philippians lived in a garrison town. They would be familiar with the site of Roman sentries maintaining their watch over the city. So what is God's peace guarding over? Over our hearts and our minds, over our emotions and our thinking, to keep both our thinking and our emotions in the Lord, empowering us to live this amazing life of joy and remember that joy is not necessarily this bubbly, giddy happiness thing. It's this deep commitment, contentment, and satisfaction in him, no matter what the outside circumstances are. Which leads us back to our question for discussion today. What am I focusing on that is fueling my joy or robbing my joy in the Lord? May your conversation with one another today be encouraging. May you also find time to be alone in the presence of God for a few minutes at least, but hopefully a little bit longer. We are his children, and he loves to spend time with us.
Joy is more about the who than what we do. Joy is more about a who than what we do.